right, those touch tones mean that it's time for our Straight Talk segment. Welcome back to Real Presence Live on a Thursday. Father James Gross, joined by Father Jason Leffer, priest of the Diocese of Fargo. And we are looking forward to hearing from you. 877-795-0122 is that number. You can also leave questions uh, on our Facebook page at Real Presence Radio. And uh, just as we were coming off the break, uh, Nancy and Father Slattery, as we were saying our, our goodbyes, uh, someone mentioned that uh, uh, Pope St. John Paul II was competent in what, 12 uh, languages, something like that? And, you know, and Father Gross, I have a hard time just thinking in English, much less communicating <laughs> in English. I, you know, I talk about being in awe of gifted person. I mean, just right, right. And just that, uh, that, that thirst and being willing to just, uh, you know, uncover that thirst. I remember seeing a documentary that was done where um, uh, kind of a, a day in the life of you know, people and events in the Vatican, and uh, his longtime photographer, how did he put it? He said, pray and work, work and pray. This is the life of the Holy Father. So, you know, to be able to dedicate and, himself and again, to those just, things. Just kind of a thought on that, like being competent in 12 different languages and all that kind of thing. But it really, I mean, where I go with that in my kind of spirit is, is sit there and think about, yeah, you think about the second person the Trinity, the Word made flesh, the Word incarnate, right? And think about the Tower of Babel and how, you know, again, humanity is divided by, you know, all, all these different languages, and yet somehow the Word taking on flesh, how we're, we're striving to know each other, striving to communicate, we're striving, and that's, mm-hmm. that's the whole mystery of our faith, right? Uh, second person of the Trinity made flesh so that we might right. know God and be known by God, by yep. one another. And, and so what an absolute gift that this one human being could communicate competently in 12 yeah. languages I bet and I know I bet he understood many more than that but he he could mm-hmm. fluently communicate in 12 right, languages right so. you know and uh, yeah there's that uh, hymn that comes up often in the uh, liturgy of the hours defeat our babble with your Pentecost so we look at how the Holy Spirit is in a sense undoing the damage that had been done at the Tower of Babel through um, the, the work of the Holy Spirit uh, you know um, of, of the full outpouring of the Holy Spirit well father Gross and I really truly do want to hear from you. 877 And you can text Father and I too if you have questions wherever our phones are here. We'll check that as well. But the thing is, we never lack gab or topics to talk about. Or <laughs> And just before programming this morning, we're sitting here, we've got a whole host of really I'd say controversial. I don't know if controversial is the right word, but hot, bu- hot button issues that yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're dying to dive into here. So, Father Gross, <laughs> reach into your grab bag of topics there. Which which one of these incredible things do we want to just well, open up here? One thing that I found uh, particularly interesting, and I think it was just a, a couple of days ago, um, Cardinal Dolan, uh, Archbishop of New York, had uh, um, printed up uh, had printed a, a little essay where he was talking about the charges that many people seem to make um, uh, regarding certain individuals in the church of the uh, label of clericalism and uh, the dangers of clericalism and his response to that was that um, um, if you uh, go too far in that way you're ultimately losing something essential so the antidote so to speak the um, uh, the, the virtue that would offset those vices is what he calls priestliness um, to be a, a true shepherd, one who is interested in uh, sacrifice and giving of oneself for the sake of the other. And um, uh, 
the, the context of this, I think, has to do with uh, not only the pontificate of Pope Francis, but uh, when it comes to um, a lot of the discussions that have been revolving around the uh, session that was held last month with the Synod and Synodality, you know, reacting to, to clericalism. It would be interesting to kind of examine what people are thinking of when they use that title. Are they thinking in an anachronistic way of the heavy-handed, um, whether it's true or just stereotypical mode of leadership of certain clergy like in the mid-20th century before the Va- Second Vatican Council? Are they thinking of, you know, uh, other sorts of things? You know, it, it, it just Father Leffer and I were mentioning that it, for many people, it seems like kind of a nebulous um, sort of a moniker. And, you know, how do you really get a, a handle on this? What do people think about that, that term? I, I know, like, I mean, again, I think, I think Pope Francis has brought that term to our consciousness because he uses it quite often in, in, in many contexts. It's, it's kind of a, a blanket thing that he'll put out there. And I, I know for myself personally, I would appreciate appreciate definition i'd appreciate well it would help me very much to know what 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 do we mean when we say that and i i think with our, our holy father right now he he does have kind of a practice of throwing terms out without really defining and i, and I think he he maybe does it on purpose like he wants us to take those terms and then go to town on them and and because he likes dialogue and discussion and so forth but i also find it it, it's a bit frustrating to not know what exactly are we talking about and i think because there's this there is a term it's called equivocation it's a philosophical term equivocate means that two people so father gross and i would be talking right now and we're using the same word but father gross has one understanding of the word and i have a different understanding of the word and we carry on this conversation, and the whole time we think we're actually communicating, but we're not, because we're coming from two different realities, and we're not actually meeting in the middle about what we're saying. Even though we're having a conversation using the same words, we're, we're not actually exchanging understanding in it. And that, so I think there's, there's a danger with that, with you know, these words and concepts, we, we, we put them out there, but if, if we don't have an actual definition of what's meant by it, then I don't know that the the, the dialogue makes progress to some place of understanding or or deeper relationship in it. Other, I think there's a danger then we use these words to to bash one another or accuse one another. Or, it can end in right, right, yeah, yeah. It can be a matter of trying to uh, propel one's own case, you know, by by tearing the other down. So, but yeah. I, I think we could the little bit that we know, we could say. I think what the Holy Father means when he says clericalism is he means uh, hierarchical, uh, heavy-handed from the top down mm-hmm. kind of uh, governance or, um, or experience. And, and so and, and he, he's saying that's, that's a negative thing and we need to make more room for more of a horizontal expression of relationship would i mean yeah yeah i think there's a lot of that you know and and it comes to, to the um it comes down to the point of what strong leadership is you know that it uh, is a security and in, in doing what you think is right but it is reaching out to others and and uh, you know bringing them along and and things like that too and i would think in in our at least my i can speak for myself and i can't speak for you but in my live experience it's i mean the cross is always the the thing that brings peace there so if you have too much vertical the horizontal gets smashed if you have too much horizontal it it just goes to disarray without some kind of vertical leadership so Mm -hmm. oftentimes the answer lies right at the heart in the middle where 
the vertical and the horizontal come together where you, you do have a, a good form of guidance and leadership, but it makes room for everyone who is part of the whole. Yeah, yeah, and and I think part of it is is maybe exacerbated a little bit by uh, Pope Francis's pastoral style. You know what I've I've heard some people call a a ready fire aim approach. You know, where it's like uh, without um, the kind of deliberation that one might other otherwise put in um, remarks and you know uh, various things like that. Whether it be to the media and press conferences aboard the plane, as you know, various things like that. Um, but yeah that uh it, it, it you know it's um it, it is something to kind of notice and 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 i think a lot of it that i think a lot of what happens is that uh people uh, attach themselves to external sorts of things that can become rather trivial um and uh e- either they're trivial or or they're not um just a, an example of something that reminded me of um you know the this pastoral program of Pope Francis in um Catholic Extension magazine they had a little write up about um the bishop in Little Rock Arkansas and he drives what was it a uh, uh, 2003 Honda Civic that just turned over 600,000 miles in its odometer. And he insists upon this not only for the sake of kind of solidarity with, you know, the poorest of the poor that he's serving, but he wants to be a model for the the priests of the diocese, too, that, uh, you know, if they're, you know, rolling off the the lot with the the, the biggest, fanciest vehicle, and, you know, how does does the bishop get around from one part of his diocese? I I, I only have one thing to say about that. I I sure hope that they gave him a new seat to sit in in that car because <laughs> if he's in there for 600,000 miles and the seat's bad, he's not going to be able to walk to take care of his flock when he gets out of that car after all those miles. And I say that from personal experience of priests that I know personally who yeah. have done this. And one, I had a brother priest who did this. He had, he had like 400,000 miles on his car and he needed me to drive it someplace one time and I got in it and it was, and by the time I got out of it, I couldn't walk because mm. it was such bad condition. Yeah. So there, there does come to a point of ridiculousness <laughs> yeah. where you go to extreme and you're not like, I remember mm-hmm. when Pope Francis, when he was first became the pontiff, he shortly after he put out the statement for, he said, you know, the famous one, smell like your sheep and so forth. But right. he, he said this thing, you know, priests should get rid of their vehicles and, and ride bikes. Bicycles. And I was like, well, I love riding a bicycle, but uh, Holy Father, if I, if I ministered to my people with a bicycle in my assignment, I, I would not be able to get to my people. I yeah. mean, so you, you need... Mm-hmm. You also need prudence in the midst of identifying yeah, so the, uh, your sheep. So, so. like with, with, with the front seat, the, the, the wooden uh, bead uh, kind of cover, that wouldn't do it. That wouldn't take care of it. Uh... <laughs> well, we have a, an interesting uh, statement here, that, or at least a, a question that was... Uh, um, uh, we have an interesting statement here, um, and uh, we're and, and ju- this is just an opportunity to. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm going to need. A, I'm sorry, uh, in Fargo, I'm going to need Aaron to repeat what he was saying here. Okay, um, so we have our straight talk segment. Um, uh, 877-795-0122 is the number, and we do have a, a caller with us. Uh, welcome to Real Presence Live. Hello, is this Father Gross? Father Gross here with Father Leffer, yes. Okay. I'm only slightly familiar with Father Gross. I think he was a priest here down in Rapid City for a little while. Uh, actually, no, but um, you may be thinking of someone else. Now, um, y- y- your name, sir, is 
Lucian. So, Lucian, okay, very good. Uh, what's your question for us? So, um, I had a question, three questions about three different Bible verses. The first one was Baruch 2.15, when it says uh, that all the world may know that you are the Lord our God, and that Israel and his children bear your name. What do you... I mean, it's clearly saying that Israel bears the name of God in that passage, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it does say that. Um, now, now, the thing about it is, um, how are you hearing that? Like, so, you could take literally the name Israel, the composition of the name itself has the name God in it. Like, if you look, look at the name Israel... One who contends with God, God from the, Jacob uh, wrestling with the angel. And so if you look at the actual word itself, the let's, end let's part not, of it let's has... Let's not get into name. the etymology of the word. Okay, Israel. and then, then also you could... Just focus you, instead on the other scripture passages okay, that I was... Then the, the other thing is you could say like that Israel bears the name, so it, it means that he, God himself has visited this particular people, that he himself has formed this particular people. So I'm just saying that there's different ways of hearing it. So go, go ahead, what's your question about it? Uh, the other, the other uh, passage was uh, Hosea 11.1. 1. Um, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. In that passage, it's saying that Israel is God's son. It's the name for God's son. Okay. So, then the next passage that I had a question about was uh, John seventeen six, when Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people. He's not talking about just anyone. He's talking about God's name that he manifested to the people. So back 2,000 years ago, Jesus manifested this sacred name of God, Israel, to the Jewish community. Y yes, that's, that's, that's what, true. That's what led to the Christian revolution uh, can you ha help me understand your connection there so you're saying there what's the connection that you're making between the the name and and Christianity that Israel is the name of God's son as it is stated in Hosea 11 1 that okay, Israel okay. is the name of God as it's stated in Baruch 2 15 isn't then God's name Israel? And well, isn't our name Israel because we're children of God? Right. So, so the, the entire Old Testament is divine revelation helping us understand um, humanity's relationship with God. As, as God reveals himself, it's divine revelation, so God himself is the one revealing it. And so he... The, the story indicates was how he, he takes from sinful humanity, he, he gathers a people, in that people he reveals himself. So there is there's this communication that goes on. And so he, he gives the people this divine this intimacy of, of knowing him by actually giving names. And so there um, there there are numerous places throughout salvation history where there are there's a name, there's a name of God, or God exchanges a name. It just, you, you, 
you know, you, you can go to Moses and the burning but bush. But it's not just any other name. This name is not known to hardly anyone as the name of God. You have other names like Yahweh or Jehovah, but right. Israel, no. Well, and, and literally the, the name Israel means one who contends, contends with or struggles with God. So, and, it, and it's specifically when Jacob... Well, Jacob I, is I read the, in the, God names him. I read in the Redemption Manual that Israel was... Uh, um, he shall rule with God. That's the etymology they gave. Okay, well, I mean, if if, if you actually go into... Um, and there's other etymologies for it, like there's not just any one name, but that one had a... a I mean, if, if, you, if you actually know, like, the Hebrew language, you can break it down into the pieces. That's why when we first started, I was saying, if you look there, the name of God is in the name, and it literally means one who struggles with... It, it comes at the moment when Jacob... Is, it says God visits him, and they they struggle. There's this mighty struggle between them. God himself names, he says, I change your name from Jacob, which means thief, to one who struggles with God. And so the person, Jacob, bears that identity, but that identity then goes to the whole people who continue, in the story of them, they continue to struggle with God in their relationship. And so there, there's a certain identity there. So this is why that, if, that name Israel. Are, when 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 you need when you use the name Israel, you have to be very specific. What context are you using that, it in? That would make every Christian a child, a children of Israel, a child of Israel, right. making well, us one people. Well, we would say we we say we're Judeo Christian. Um, Jesus Himself, and not just not just Christianity either, but in Islam too. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be Judaism. This this would be the uniting factor for all the religions. If what's what's the commandment that it says, "Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain." Isn't yeah. that the third one or the no, second? No, the second. Okay, I thought that was much. But anyways, um, it so, depends how you number them. Just so you know, there, there, there. There is some places where they have four commandments for relationship with God, where it, they break up the. For Catholics, we have the one. The list from Exodus, as opposed to the yep. one in Deuteronomy. So that the first one will sometimes can, be broken up into two. Just so you're aware. Of can that. you can you explain to me the uh, meaning of that? You shall not take the Lord's name in vain, in the context of uh, bearing the name Israel. Well, this is, uh, I, I would say there's a, there's a definite uh, difference there because you're talking about the person and the, the persons of the Trinity uh, as, as uh, opposed to a, a creature, um, the, the man whose name was changed from Jacob to Israel. What we're speaking about is symbolic uh, meanings that extend beyond him into the tribes, into what, for example, the apostles represent and uh, how the book of Revelation talks about the apostles, you know, being um, uh, the as the um, the the gates, you know, the twelve gates, you know, in the holy city of Jerusalem. So that's Wasn't that's it? a distinction that we have to keep uh, and, keep and, in place. Part, here. These these com these ten commandments, when God's giving them, the he's he's speaking specifically against idolatry, and so idolatry is worshiping it, false gods. And so in, I think it was in Revelation twelve one. Or fourteen one, forgive me, I don't know this one by heart, but it mentions something along these lines. And behold, I looked upon Mount Zion, 
and there were 144,000 people with their uh, father's name and their name sealed upon their forehead, something like that. Right. And I don't remember. Right. And, and then the, the very next line talks about this uncountable multitude of all humanity who is present as well. So there, it's, it, it is a reference that God's so chosen we, people are just, present. We've just asserted that Israel is the name of God, but also his children, which is all of us, so we are all children of Israel. One of the names of God is contained within the name of the man Israel, so we need to be careful there right. and not it, and that's why things. It'll keep coming back to you have to be very distinct on how you're using that name. Because, that again, this name has many, many reference points, and it has many different ways in which it's used throughout history. So, um, right, so you just have to be careful when you conflate God's things. Name in vain, right. And say that we ourselves are God, that would be breaking the second commandment. Well, well there, there is a Which, sense. How would you just? How would you justify saying that Jesus, a man, was God? Jesus is the Son of God. He is a divine person with a human nature, and he's the Son of God and the Son of Man. He's the Son of Mary, so he's a hundred percent God. Aren't we also and, sons of God? Please repeat that. Aren't we also sons of God? That that is Don't correct. Through, through through baptism and grace, we are Become adopted. children of God. We and are adopted. adopted, and we receive the the. We have relationship with the divine nature of God through through faith and baptism. That is correct. Yes, but it's by adoption, not by nature. We are coming to the end of our time here, so we're going to have to um, uh, say goodbye for now with this conversation. But uh, Lucian, thanks so much for calling, and it was good to hear from you today. God bless you. Bye bye. Take God thank bless. you. All right. Yeah, you know, we need to be careful, I guess, with regard to, you know, some of the some of the meanings there. And, and it's just kind of interesting what, uh, what, you know, what, what the, um, the, the the aim is, you know, sometimes. Sure, sure. So, like, and I, I can totally appreciate, like, Lucian, what he's struggling with there. And that sense, well, he's really trying to grasp and make sense out, out of all this. And I think, and, and that's why, like, I'll come back to where we used earlier, equivocation, right? Like, you can take the word, the name Israel, and, and again, you can use the name Israel to refer to many different identities and meanings. And if, if you try to conflate those, which means takes all those different meanings and put them into one, you can end up in a, in a really difficult situation and really confuse. You're not so... Um, and, and that's why, like I always say, you, ha you need to define what, what you're talking about, where it's coming from. So, so to, just to grab one line of scripture from one part of the Bible, another line over here and put them together and say, it, that, that, isn't, yeah. that isn't good... That isn't necessarily a good way of doing it. Like, um, yeah. Anyway, I'll just leave that. Right. Yeah. Because you know, because that that does become worrisome. Because uh, to whom was the person in Baruch speaking? You know, what was the context and, and various things and, like and you that. Have the, so, you have like four different yeah. meanings of scripture. Where you, like you have the literal sense, you have the allegorical sense, you have the um, yeah the, the the spiritual sense. So you can have you can have the moral sense, right? So right. you have these different. Um, so one line of scripture will have numerous meanings to it, and it's and it's about being um, faithful to the discipline of which of how you're using it. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, 
Well, we just have a couple of minutes left here. Uh, oh, yeah. How about this? Yes. You had in your grab bag, right? You, you right. also had, you were concerned about the length of mass or something? Father, what was going on there? In our Sunday visitor, Cardinal Dolan, um, again, the uh, Archbishop of New York, had shared um, in an essay uh, the concerns that many people had brought up in listening sessions preparing for the Synod of Synodality about the length of Sunday mass, that it was too long. And there were some anecdotal things where uh, one of his priests said that the, you know, the, the length length of time in singing the Gloria is longer than the Eucharistic prayer, you know, and various other things like that. I think a lot of that has to do with um, uh, whether it be various liturgical choices that are made uh, musically or otherwise, or maybe the sheer size of the congregation, you know, might lead to something longer. Well, this brought up a lot of reactions from people, you know, and, and many of them said, basically, you know, so what if the if there's substance there, you know, I'd rather things be a little bit longer longer than, you know, just uh, streamlined and short, that that's not always the best the best solution. That, yes, with many people, they need to be more concise, perhaps, in homily preparation and things like that. But uh, it really was interesting because it brought out a lot of reaction on the part of uh, uh, readers, you know, to what he had to say. You know, to, uh, a immediate thought that comes to me is like, I don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced love in your life, Father, if you, you know, I don't just mean like human love, but I mean just love. But when you, like when you when you're experiencing your favorite meal, food that you love, t time doesn't become a factor. When you experience your favorite song or music, time doesn't become a factor. When you experience your, fam your favorite drama, time... When you're in the presence of someone that you love, time doesn't become a factor. You know, so it, it, it's yeah. interesting. So, like, if you're, if you're in a place of love, I mean, time doesn't become a factor. But on the other hand... We also live in a practical world where if we're if we're gonna mandate and say that you have a moral obligation to do this, right? That that's where the that's where the conflict comes in. Well, I'm morally obligated to be here and I have these other obligations in my life. So if you're gonna morally obligate to me to be here, you, you better meet me on some level where it's it's livable for me or I'm not gonna be able to do it. And I think that's that's the two worlds coming together, right? The one where people are there out of out of love and they want to um, spend as much time as possible, and other people who are like, I'm here out of obligation because I have to be, please make this livable or I just won't take part. Yeah, yeah, just checking it off the list. I'm I'm still thinking about how you kind of led into that by saying, you know, I don't know if you've been in love or whatever. My Our listeners are thinking, gosh, Father Gross must be this absolute Grinch. You know? well, <laughs> like, no. I, no, I just want to be careful not to put, you know. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 it's just, but yeah, exactly. You know, if a person is invested, you know, in in, in who they are. Um, you know, I just, uh, uh, one of my professors um, in uh, Columbus, Ohio, would talk about uh, the Ohio State football games, he'd say they were the three and a half hour liturgies because exactly. people were so devout in their own way, which is a quasi-religious way, you know, and it's like if only there were that sort of um, devotion that existed, you know, when it came to the, the most important things, the things that matter most. Well, we're going to be talking about St. Thomas Aquinas and what he has to teach us about uh, masculinity and virtues, and that's coming up in the beginning of our second hour. Stay with us. You're listening to Real Presence Live.